episode 20 of Tomorrow Never Knows, the podcast about feminism, politics, history and everything else. I am Charlotte Lydia Riley. And I'm Emma London. And this is, I suppose, our birthday episode. This is. I mean, so it's our 20th episode, which is quite exciting. Yeah. Uh, And also we've done about 20 episodes in a year. Yeah. Which means we've done roughly one every two weeks, sort of. Um, (laughs) Nearly. Um, So, yeah, this is our birthday episode. And we were thinking about what we wanted to talk about this time. And we were thinking about what was going on a year ago when we started this podcast. And the big story a year ago when we started this podcast was hashtag me too. Yes, and that's something that we were planning on talking about last year in one of our first episodes. But we sort of decided that we needed it to percolate a bit I suppose there were so many revelations and so much to read and think about what was happening so it's taken us a year but we've arrived at the moment it has so we're going to sort of talk a little bit about the original me too scandal and then kind of how it's evolved since then I guess and whether anything's changed and we were saying earlier so when we were sort of sitting down and thinking about what to talk about today and getting together some of the pieces for the footnotes um, and I was finding on my phone all of the screen grabs of all of these brilliant articles I was reading by very angry women. And I said, I can just remember being just really insanely angry, really incredibly angry from like the beginning of October to the end of December last year, pretty much solidly. Mm. It just felt like there was revelation after revelation after revelation. And and that this was kind of not... Fostered is the wrong word because I mean it in a good way, but I was reading just so much interesting stuff being written predominantly by women like kind of diary pieces and comment pieces and and personal essays and bits of memoirs and things that women were writing about their experiences and I was just like it was just like keeping the anger alive yeah um in possibly not actually that good a way but in a way that felt quite productive it's it was it has been a very interesting year because I think we have before we've talked about the fact that women have a need for well the world needs women to be very explicit about personal experiences for Mm -hmm. them to be relevant I suppose so you get we talked a little bit about sexual harassment in our third episode yeah which we'll link to in our footnotes um, where we talked about workplace cultures yes and um, things like that Um, and I think we mentioned it then that there's this general assumption that in order for women to be believed Mm -hmm. the stories need to be very explicit yeah I think even I think in that episode we linked to uh, a thing Lindy West had written a tweet or something where she said like I refuse to drag out all of my personal pain just so that you believe me that the idea that women needed to kind of dredge up all of these stories and pull them out and throw them out there just so they could be believed and it's quite an interesting thing because there's been a bit of a dual I mean I still I still very much agree with that and and I think there's a an extreme discrepancy in what women the stories women tell mm-hmm. and the stories men tell um but I also think that this past year has been very interesting because of all of the personal yeah. stories the scale of it as well yeah. I mean on one hand so there was a kind of so when There's the ha- some sort of ammunition in, yeah, in exactly. knowing exactly what happened to someone else. Exactly. And there, it was a moment, for whatever reason, and there are lots of reasons maybe why the, why it took off like it did, this, this movement, this moment. But obviously this has been happening forever. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't want to be a terrible, his- a bad history student, but like since the beginning of time, <laughs> yes. women have been being sexually assaulted, sexually harassed, raped, abused by men, mostly men. Um, and this has disproportionately been suffered by women, although, of course, it is not just women who suffer these mm. experiences. But for some reason, this moment was a moment that really kind of catapulted this issue and became something. So the Me Too movement had actually been started before the yeah. book story, right? It was started by a woman called Tarana Burke, who was a woman of colour, who had used this... Um, hashtag me too to talk personally about her experiences and to encourage other women to talk about their experiences of sexual mm. harassment yeah there's a story about how she was once told by some young girl that she was being sexually assaulted and didn't know what to say mm-hmm. 
And then afterwards she realised that what she'd really wanted to say was me too. Yes. Um, which and is actually, quite powerful. A piece I read in The Guardian by Dana Tortorici called Reckoning with a Culture of Male Resentment, um, which is a really great piece which we'll link to. You know, she talked a lot about this, but she called it The Long 2016. Mm. I realised when I just reread the piece, she mentioned The Long 2016 as being this moment of talking. And the reason that she called it The Long 2016 was because her dating of Me Too was to Trump's victory in the election. okay. And to Trump's victory despite the locker room tapes where he used the phrase, grab her by the pussy. Mm. And so for lots of American women, they had actually had this moment of lots of them sharing stories and again of using this Me Too hashtag then, where they had talked about the behaviour that Trump had not at all been censured or punished for. You know, Trump was elected despite literally being caught on tape admitting to sexual assault. Mm. He was elected, Hillary Clinton lost. And so at that moment in 2016, lots of American women, and into early 2017, lots of American women who were also very angry with the way the election campaign had gone, you know, the kind of the bleeding from you wherever moment, all of the stuff about how Hillary was treated. A very overt misogynism on display, which I think a lot of us, many of us, are quite sheltered from because we choose to surround ourselves with nicer people. Yeah, But then you're exposed to it. Exactly. And so for lots of, particularly American women, although I think women, you know, across the world, 2016 had already been quite a difficult year for this. Yeah. And had led to this this initial speaking out of women who talked about their experiences and, you know, who objected to... And then, of course, the Women's March in January 2017. Yeah. When some of that had been framed again, some of the placards and things had been framed around the idea of women being victims of sexual assault, of Trump being, uh, like, a having a rapist in the White House. That was used quite a lot. And even the pink pussy hat as an icon, which was used to talk about that grab-her-by-the-pussy kind of admission. Mm-hmm. And then the sort of second wave of this then is the Harvey Weinstein story. Yeah. Which was initially broken, or maybe the third wave, I suppose. The first wave is to run about, the second wave is this kind of Trump moment, and then the third wave is Weinstein, which was initially broken on the 5th of October in the New York Times by Jodie Cantor and Megan uh, Toohey. And then on the 10th of October, five days later, Ronan Farrow wrote the piece in the New Yorker magazine, mm-hmm. which kind of um, detailed more the allegations yeah and those three journalists then did quite a lot of investigation and investigation to all sorts of elements of it like the fact that Weinstein was using personal detectives to try to um get dirt on victims and things yeah silencing of yeah and the use of non-disclosure agreements and things like this and so it seems like there was this kind of long moment which then had this catalyst of Weinstein yeah and then for a short period of time you couldn't move for stories right yeah Um, allegations of sexual assault there was also a kind of pattern whereby men who tweeted loudly in defense of people being accused of sexual assault would then very quickly themselves be have stories come out of their past yeah it became quite an obvious kind of wave i guess yeah i'm the the thing that has been very striking is the absolute scale of it Mm -hmm. because i think we all know it happens, right? And it's all pretty much happened to everyone, mm-hmm. one way or another. I mean, it's the me, me too, as it stands now, covers everything from sexual harassment to assault. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even, I think even on some level, not even harassment, like anything from kind of, I think it's broadened to the extent, like the experience of kind of weaponized sexism or unpleasant misogyny, even. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, true. It's used to kind of as a catch-all term to talk about lots of different things. I mean, it has a hashtag on Twitter, which is like an animated hashtag, mm. um, which has a tiny icon, which I thought for a long time was a vulva. Yeah, me too. And there's actually <laughs> actually three hands, different coloured hands in yeah. a little pink circle. Why it has to be a pink circle. Um <sighs> But, it, you know, it's an animated hashtag. Now, most animated hashtags are things like the World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a branding exercise that Twitter does that, you know, you'll do hashtag World Cup and it'll have a little flag for, you know, this year it had a little, you know, flag for Russia or whatever. Mm. So that's quite weird anyway. And it's quite weird that that's still yeah. a branded hashtag. Um, I use it to kind of collate material on this and... Um, and every time it pops up, I'm sort of reminded of this sort of commodification of this movement. Yeah, because that's also um, part of what's happened is the institutionalisation mm. of of the accusations 
And there's, I mean, so when it all started last year, it was very fascinating to see how it was being portrayed in the media. Yeah. And there were, I mean, no one took Harvey Weinstein's side, particularly, well. not in the media that I read. But there were there were all sorts of stories about, you know, you, the, the regular stories that you always hear that you can't trust mm-hmm. the, the accusers. I think people did take his side in that there were lots of things coming out that this was just how things worked in Hollywood. Yeah. That women were being oh, yeah, too sensitive. yeah, the casting sensitive. couch. Yeah, exactly. You know, this has always been a fact. Women benefit from this, right? Because mm. women can use the casting couch and men can't. I think there was there was also a lot of responses along the lines of, does this mean that we can no longer flirt in the workplace? Yes. That that backlash happened really, really quickly, yeah. I think. There was almost immediately, there were responses to this along the lines of, you know, which which just ignored some of the really specific details of the whiting, not least that he's been accused actually of rape, mm. but also by several women, but also, for example, like one of the details was that he had masturbated into a pot plant in a meeting. Mm. And that's not a behaviour that sits on a grey line of what is or is not acceptable in the workplace. No. You know, everybody knows that that's not acceptable. Um, Harvey Weinstein would have known it yeah, wasn't acceptable. Exactly. And that would be part of the reason why he did it. And it emphasised as well how much... You know, there's always been a feminist argument that sexual assault is actually about power. Yeah. Or is certainly about power as much as it is about sex. Mm. It clearly is also about sex. But it is about sex and power. Which is also the thing with the Louis C.K. Yes. story. And I think it's interesting because all of these stories as well that you hear, oh, well, this is the system, this is how it works, and if you want to be in Hollywood, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. It it sort of covers up the stories of the women who didn't do the things yeah. or who did do things but were then still punished for it. Yeah. You know, this is career-ending moments for yeah. women. This is often young women who don't know what they're getting into, who've yeah. been asked by someone incredibly senior to do something, mm-hmm. come to a certain hotel room. Yeah. And while they're there, they're in an extremely precarious position. Yeah. Because we're all going to be smaller than Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. And, le- and, and less powerful, always less powerful. Incredibly and, and in- less powerful. And incredibly powerful women were still less powerful than Harvey Weinstein, yeah. right? Like some women are often at the top of their career. Yeah. Weinstein, and also, you know, other people for, about whom these allegations are about. Quentin Tarantino, for example. Yeah. Who treats his female, his leading actresses, really badly. I thought that was really interesting that Uma Thurman, who refused to talk about it for months until she felt like she was calm enough to do it, and then detailed this, these mm-hmm. like litany of how she had been mistreated. Yeah. During the filming of Kill Bill, yeah, which is all about this empowered violent oh, yeah, woman, yeah. this this film that trades. So she's she suffered long term health yeah. consequences because they were sort of frivolous with her body. Exactly in in a way which is clearly part of the Me Too movement, but is not is it's not explicitly about sexual assault or no, abuse, right? No. So it, so it's also a broadening of these ideas, and then also sort of in terms of punishment. That so for example, Mir- the actress Mira Savino basically stopped working yeah she didn't work again after she rebuffed Weinstein's advances yeah. you know there is no right response to this that often often the responses of people to women saying oh you know well he asked me to give him a massage at his hotel room was you could have said no and say but we know what happens to the women who say yeah. no it isn't a choice it's not it's not just an offer made on the table there's a power I, relationship there. I wonder if this is something that has opened the eyes to some of the nice men of this world <laughs> who I'm sure listen to this podcast. So you might want to get in touch and let, let us know how you've actually reacted to this. Because there seems to be quite a big gap between people who would do things like that or enjoy being in that powerful position with women or anyone who's junior to them. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, recognising it for what it is. It's also, you know, so many kind of... I think the reason I was so angry about it, and I'm still so angry about it, to be honest, is that all the different... So, you know, one of the backlashes was, that's just how it works. Mm. One of them, the, the can we not flirt anymore, or, you know, there's oh, a kind of grey area. I mean, again, Dana Tortorici in her piece, lots of women made this point, but she, she said, patiently, my peers and I explained to men that we understand the difference between a touch and a rape. Like, women know this. Yeah. And I think I remember tweeting about this at the time, that actually women constantly... you Women have a scale of this behaviour because we are constantly having to assess this behaviour to work out how unsafe we are. So, yeah. of course, we have... A, of course, we understand the difference between 
a serious assault and an ex- instance of workplace sexism because you experience this stuff so much that you end up with a taxonomy of it. Yeah. You, you know, we know, like, is this something that means I should, I need to leave my job? Is this something that means I'm unsafe and I need to leave a party? Is this something, like, can I respond to this? Is this something I need to laugh off? Like, yeah. of course we understand that some things are worse than others. It doesn't mean that all of it's not wrong. It just means that some of it's, you know, more wrong or whatever. Yeah, there's a scale of, you know, criminality Yes, exactly, involved. apart from anything else. There was also the sort of, there was the, because of then, I think, because of the, the, what seemed to be just an enormous number of accusations coming out, there also very quickly was this narrative of a witch hunt. Yes. (laughs) Just, oh God, yeah. So each of the individual men who were accused of something were then sort of benefiting from the perceived idea of, being, I don't know, the equivalent of of women who were murdered because they might have been a bit different or a little bit too clever for their own good back in the days when that happened. I mean, it's absolutely extraordinary. I mean, witch hunt is such a gendered term to use. But also, it's not a a witch hunt if it's true. And, I mean, Lindy West, who is, is brilliant about writing about these things, she wrote a piece about it being a witch hunt and she said, you know, it's sure, if you insist, it's a witch hunt. I'm a witch and I'm hunting you. Mm. Like, yes, fine. You know, if you want to use that term, fine. But we're still hunting you, you know. Mm. It's not, it doesn't, the fact that you think it is a witch hunt doesn't change the law. It doesn't change your behaviour. No, no. So, you know, so that was one of the big things that came out. There was also lots of stuff about, um, you know, does this mean that workplace relationships aren't okay? Which actually I think is, one, I mean, it's also, one, is willfully missing the point. Because, again, yeah. people are not accusing Harvey Weinstein of having a series of consensual relationships with women who worked for him. No, exactly. But also it is interesting, apart from anything else, it, sh- it shows how how easy it is for some men to make every single conversation about themselves mm. and their lives. But also it, it shows a sort of... I don't know, I really think that that kind of argument brings it down to a sort of a fundamental discomfort from having to be in these spaces with women. Yeah. Um, some of the Jordan Peterson stuff actually is a bit like this. Jordan Peterson maintains that women wear lipstick. He buys into that stupid evolutionary thing that women wear lipstick to make their lips look, I don't know, vulvas or something, but also that you know women wear makeup to attract men. Oh, yeah, we do everything to attract men, don't exactly. we? Exactly. And that men... It's a whole theory. It's just all the time. And that, yeah. and that men constantly... You know, men can't really be held responsibility for their actions in that in that case yeah. there's, again there's a video of him having being interviewed by some guy who talks about how like women wear makeup and that means men can't be held responsible for their actions and this guy's like but every woman in this office is making wearing makeup I haven't assaulted any of them like yeah. it's not true that's not true um, but also these kind of narratives of like picking out a single story and being like well here's a boss who flirted with his secretary and now they're married and have three lovely children and that means that this behaviour is okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, the word consent is mm-hmm. <laughs> somehow very easy to neglect in all of these yeah. um, justifications of behaviour. Or people who are frightened that we're not in the 1950s anymore and, and men in power are not just automatically going to get very far with women. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, I met my partner in our mutual workplace mm-hmm. there was absolutely no harassment involved no, exactly right this is... <laughs> it's possible it was all consensual and you know 12 years on here we are but it's it's you know a completely different thing he wasn't my boss yeah. it wasn't anything that made me uneasy it might have mm-hmm. made him uneasy I haven't actually asked <laughs> I suppose it didn't <laughs> but you know what I mean it's yeah. like there's just so two such separate things yeah, and absolutely. only someone who has not been on the receiving end of someone else's power mm-hmm. would ever confuse the two exactly. and it's quite interesting because there's been I remember Edwina Curry is one of the people who's talked about the fact that you can't flirt in the workplace mm-hmm. and stuff which is like yeah her style was the flirtatious one mm-hmm. so I suppose if she that is a threat to some people including some women Mm -hmm. that that you have to think about what you do yeah and she used to um 
when she couldn't move through the division lobby, she would tickle men on their necks because they would turn around and sort of move out of her way. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's something that, you know, if a man had done that to a group of women, that would have been... It's definitely inappropriate. Problematic. Yeah. It's inappropriate. I think Edwina Curry has a, a long history of doing quite inappropriate things for getting away with them. Um, so I think some of the women who have talked about Me Too and their worries about... I mean, there's a, that whole big French letter mm, that was signed by mm-hmm. Catherine Deneuve yeah. and others I think a lot of that could be down to these things that they have themselves maybe belong to an earlier generation where yeah. it's you know they could have some of that power yeah and also I think it's just um it's often a willful misunderstanding of the behavior that's being discussed mm. but it is also you know, maybe workplaces are more professional now and maybe that's not a problem. Like A lot of workplaces have a lot more women in them yeah, than they used exactly. to. So And like maybe the strategies that you used to use as being one of the only women in yeah. a very male dominated environment, like maybe they aren't appropriate anymore. No. And also, you know, that maybe like maybe the thing I always thought is when people were like, Can we not flirt in the workplace? I was like if that were the price we had to pay that women weren't being sexually assaulted in the workplace, <laughs> then yeah fine yeah like yeah maybe you shouldn't like actually maybe i you know even the most innocent flirting in the workplace maybe it is inappropriate does it really does it does it hurt anyone for that to be inappropriate is it really such a bad thing for us to say you know what your professional lives are professional and your personal lives but like begin outside of work is that the worst thing in the world like it, mm. it always i don't know it always seemed that you know this was being positive as being like this terrible um limit on people's civil liberties in the way that i was just like i just don't understand that to be the case yeah there was also a kind of there's also the thing about victims that has come up quite a bit um now particularly with the accusations recently against Asia Argento Mm. so that Asia Argento had had accused Harvey Weinstein of sexual assault um I think even rape rape, yeah yeah. and she herself has recently been accused of of uh, sexual assault um with a young male actor of, Mm. of of the sexual assault of a young male actor. And this was a moment when lots of people, kind of opponents of the Me Too movement, jumped on. Yeah. As being, as showing that, you know, well, this stuff happens all the time, or, you know, maybe she was lying, or or, or sort of crowing over the perception was that feminists would be unable to make a case as to why she should still be believed, or that this kind of, like, mortally wounded the Me Too movement. There was a lot similar going on with Rose McGowan as well. Mm. Rose McGowan is not not an uncomplicatedly perfect victim. Uh, She's quite difficult at different moments in in the kind of I mean difficult in the sense of like a difficult woman you know that and that she's said and done things in the public eye that are not necessarily helpful to the cause more generally yeah and so there's always been this assumption that like literally like women who report these things women who kind of speak out about these things have to have absolutely perfect past to be believed yeah Whereas men only need a tiny sliver of humanity for the accusations against them not to be taken seriously. Yeah. So a man like Weinstein can be basically a terrible person, but if he did one good thing once, if he had one good relationship with one woman who is willing to come out and say that she liked working with him, then that's enough to discredit all of his accusers. Yeah. But if one woman lived a basically... You know, and also it doesn't matter whether a woman led a blameless life. It, it doesn't matter what your life was like. If you were assaulted, you were assaulted. But even if a woman comes forward and had almost an entirely a blameless life but has, like, one moment. I don't mean Asia Argento and having quite serious allegations against her. I mean, if if a woman, you know, gets drunk and goes home with a man once, yeah, that means all of the rest of her testimony and accusations are on shoddy ground. Mm. And so many of the men who came forward... Or, no, not men who came forward. So many of the men against whom accusations came forward were really reliant on, like, single women supporting them. Yeah. Louis C.K., there was, you know, there were sort of individual female comics who said that they thought he was a genius or that they had personally not experienced this behaviour. Yeah. And his supporters really leapt on that, that like, you know, because because one woman thought he was okay, then that that's fine. Yeah. Um, I thought what was really good about the, the Louis C.K. stuff was what Tig Notario did. Yeah. And she, because she had, at the time, I don't know if it's still running, actually. I think it might have been cancelled, but she had an, an Amazon Prime comedy series yeah, called One Mississippi that he was an executive producer of. And she only really got it because he agreed to 
be a producer. Mm -hmm. But she still, and she hadn't heard the accusations, she's probably not a woman that he would have done this in Mm -hmm. front of. Um, But she was furious and immediately realised that these are not stories that people tell for no reason. Yeah. So she actually made it a part of the second series of the show that there's a there's a radio producer mm-hmm. who masturbates in front of mm-hmm. um, an employee. Yeah, she like dealt directly with the issue. Yeah. And also yeah. I think spoke out and said, you know, we should believe accusations. Yeah. Um, and a few women have done that about men that they knew. Yeah. That's That's been... a. a a few that's been the case of a few w- women who've made statements saying this man is my friend but we should believe accusers yeah there's the thing always about being a kind of perfect these kind of demands of, that things need to be very clear cut and black and white yes um, but i mean who demands that in reality well, exactly. i mean it's, it is the justice system mm-hmm. in many cases yeah you know the horrific stats for rape convictions across the world they're not particularly brilliant in britain either and this constant kind of anxiety then about how you present yourself as a victim um ava hagbird fisher wrote a really good piece called how i learned to look believable which wrote in december of last year which was this brilliant so she she was pursuing a case which actually just just finished and she's just won a case against a university for sexual harassment and the article was this really well written piece about how you dress to make Mm. these accusations what clothes do you wear as a woman to be taken seriously Mm. um and that idea that you constantly have to present yourself as being the ideal victim the the believable victim Mm. um and there's also this kind of i don't know there's been a lot more empathy demanded of people for the accused for the accused than for the victims yes right well, they've realized they've done something wrong now there's been constant demands that for forgiveness yeah um even for men who have not actually apologized you know louis ck famously wrote this long apology that never included the word sorry mm. um also it's a public apology rather than something directed apologies. to yeah. the masses of women yeah he has this kind of constant um and this constant also demand that you know hasn't it been long enough these people you know louis ck again briefly did some stand-up quite recently yeah and a lot of people were very angry about this but there were quite a few of his supporters who said you know well hasn't he suffered enough yes nushin iqbal wrote about that in the observer Mm -hmm. saying that it's it's been nine months yeah. people are saying oh well his career could be over mm-hmm. but it took him 20 years to build his career nine months mm-hmm. is nothing he's not gonna just disappear and even if it does that it that, that there's something what well, she argues is that there's something indecent at the core yeah. of the proposition that these are things that can be rehabilitated that quickly yeah. without anyone actually making any amends and she exactly. mentions aziz ansari in that as well that mm-hmm. these are men in particular, well, both Louis C.K. and Aziz Ansari have made, built personal personas or public personas that trade on them being good guys yeah, who absolutely. are aware of these things. And Louis C.K.'s old shtick that he used to be, you know, he would always talk about being this this overweight, masturbating loser. Mm-hmm. That used to be his whole thing in comedy. Yeah, no, exactly. Is that funny now? When it turns out that that's actually what he... That is actually his life. Yeah. Has been his life. This is, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's that we are so quick. We are encouraged to move on so quickly and mm-hmm. sort of just think... I think Woody Allen is 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 someone in the same vein that yeah. it's only now that people are actually starting to take it seriously. Yeah. That there's something not quite right there. Yeah. Um and he no he hasn't been convicted in a court. But you know there there are persistent stories. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe it's partly because Ronan Farrow is one of the journalists who have, yeah, so have underpinned the meeting movement. This. So he has a lot of credibility when he talks about these things and yeah. uh, his experiences and him believing his sister in her accusations. But it's it's only 
that why has that taken so like 25 30 years yeah, for yeah, people I mean, to when, actually start thinking about yeah. maybe not watching Woody Allen films I mean people t- still think that the films of Roman Polanski are worth watching um, yeah. and female, female actors and male actors continue to but then you have that Polanski. old age old argument that you need to separate the art from the artist and ridiculous. I think it's Possibly something you can do when the artist is diseased. Mm-hmm. But these are men who make a professional living out of this. And it's not just some job that gives them four fifty an hour. It's, no. you know, millions and, and millions of pounds. There's a difference about saying you have to separate the art from the artist. If it's something where the thing that was bad about them was maybe less censured in their lifetime, right? And mm-hmm. then that, like later it's like, oh, actually this person was a terrible person for X, Y, Z reason... But, you know, it was a long time ago and it's historic and maybe... Like, these men, like, their victims are still around. Yeah. And they're doing these things in, at a time when everyone knows this stuff is wrong. Everyone knows these things are not allowed. What I want to know is where all the women that Louis C.K. masturbated in front and who have, like, quit comedy or found it incredibly difficult yeah. to find work within comedy after that. Where are they? Yeah, exactly. Who's going to see their shows? I just, I, I have little... Aren't they the ones who need to make a living out of this? Yeah, Aren't exactly. they the ones who are meant to be telling, you know, the, the fun jokes and not having to mm-hmm. talk about Louis C.K. all the time? Exactly. Because firstly, the idea that women, the idea that these men are sort of disproportionately being punished just ignores the fact that this punishes... Having to come forward and talk about this stuff punishes women. It's yeah. incredibly difficult to do. No one benefits from this. There is no, there's no kind of sexual assault card you get that means that you get to have a great career after you you know no one does this to get famous no one wants to be famous for being the woman who talks about when louis ck masturbated in front of her no there was a really good mcsweeney's article um saying uh although the headline of which was although he has made although he has made zero effort to make amends it's his time to bring steve the masturbator back to our office and it was just you know it in a way, you know, part of the com- part of the reason the article made me laugh when I read it is because you know the accused is this accountant, so the sort of thing is framed around, um, you know, he's a supremely talented accountant, and the world deserves to see his accounting. Just forget about all the horrible masturbating he forced many of our employees to witness over the year. This is a once in a generation accountant we're talking about. Yeah, and obviously, you know, that serves to mock the idea that these people are such great artists or such wonderful comedians that we need Being to see them. Being a male them. genius is a protective shield. Exactly, but also it's just the although they have made no atonement. Like very early on, Scarchi Cool wrote a piece called um, "Saying You're Sorry Isn't Enough Anymore." And she started her piece by saying, you know, if you had asked me a year ago what I wanted and what many women wanted, I would have said I wanted these men to say sorry. Mm. Like, that's what I would have said I wanted. That's what I thought I wanted. I wanted them to say sorry. And then she said, you know, we had over three months, we had so many apologies. Right? Kevin Spacey apology apologised, but like made it into a coming out story. Um, George oh, H.W. problematic in itself. Yeah, which is super problematic. George H.W. Bush apologised, but not after he claimed that groping that woman was a joke. Uh, Mario Batali apologised, but attached a recipe for cinnamon buns to his apology. Because oh. uh, he's a chef, you know. Al Franken said he was sorry. Jeffrey Tambor sort of said he was sorry. Dustin Hoffman said he was sorry, but then got in a fight with John Oliver about it. Jeffrey Tambor then also got himself fired from yep. Transparent, for... which is run by women. Yeah. Harvey Weinstein sort of vaguely said he was sorry but said that the rules were different in the 60s and 70s and workplaces were different and that was the culture then this is the thing though my example of how how things don't move on and some things are always wrong is rape within marriage which mm-hmm. wasn't a crime in many countries for a very long oh, yeah, time it wasn't it's a crime quite... in britain until 1991 exactly but does that not mean that people who rape their wives but yeah. you know wasn't that a bad act still yeah Exactly. Can it happen before 1991? And also with sexual harassment as well, one of the things is, you know, it doesn't actually have to be illegal for it not to be okay. Yeah. Right? Like, it doesn't have to be illegal for... Sexism, interpersonal sexism, being a misogynist is not illegal. For all of the right likes to scream and cry and tantrum about the fact that, you know, we're trying to... We're the thought police and we're trying to stop people being bigots. It's not illegal to be a misogynist. No, they can be how... People can be as misogynist and racist as they want. Exactly. That actually doesn't mean that you deserve not to be fired for it, though. No. Like, if you're a misogynist in the office, you deserve to be fired. Yeah. And if you treat people badly, you treat people badly and you're not going to be a good co-worker. No. And, you know, sexual harassment, I think, pretty much falls into the treating people badly category. Exactly. 
It's quite infuriating to see how how much of a defence there is, though, for the, oh, he was drunk, mm-hmm. and uh, other things like that. It's, you know, it's... Constant mis- attempts to mitigate people for yeah, people's yeah, behaviour. Yeah. And it's... W- with the Jeffrey Tambor thing, um, it blew up <laughs> quite massively in the beginning of this, this summer, I think, when mm-hmm. there was an... Um, article a sort of group interview published about yeah. the arrested development cost yeah. and uh jason what's his name bateman jason bateman jason bateman was i mean in in some ways maybe he was trying to act like the um kid with divorced parents trying to keep them together he's sort of pacifying the accusations and saying oh but isn't that bad and stuff mm-hmm. and you know there, there could be many reasons why he in particular chose to try to do the diplomacy mm-hmm. in that group situation which must have been quite you know it must you know uncomfortable for everyone who was in that room mm-hmm. but it doesn't take away from the fact that by doing so by trying to like find this path in between the accused and the mm-hmm. accuser you're completely silencing the victim. Well, also in that... And her experiences. What was interesting in that interview as well was obviously the big accusations against Tambor are these ac- ac- accusations of sexual assault, mm. or sexual harassment, sexual... But in the interview, what they were actually talking about was his relationship with, uh, on set with the woman who plays Lucille Bluth. Whose name has just completely uh, escaped Jessica me. something, but I can't remember her last name. Yeah. Um, the woman who plays <laughs> Lucille Bluth. We apologise for that. He'd been incredibly unpleasant to her. He'd screamed and shouted at her and made her cry on set. Yeah. And they were talking about that incident, and she said she was, and she actually started to cry again. I think in the yeah. interview, and she said that she had been very upset, and it had been a big deal for her, and it was very upsetting. And she is an incredibly experienced actress yes. who, you know, and she has said been on never sets before, to, and exactly. this is this has never happened. This to her isn't before. just what happens in the workplace. And all of the men in that room, I think, with the exception actually of Tony Hale, who I thought was the only man who came across okay. Basically, he didn't really. He was he was not kind of active figure. The other three men in that room, including Jeffrey Tambor, were just constantly trying to downplay her accusations. Mm. But they also kind of had mentioned, I think, in the context, they said there were these accusations against Tambor, mm. and it just showed that well, it didn't. You know, it's not it's not evidence, but it, it shows the way often in which men who have behaved inappropriately to one woman in one workplace environment have done it to others as well. Yeah, this behaviour is a spectrum, and again, it kind of. Going back to what we were saying earlier, it does point to the reason why you might be very uncomfortable as a woman with quite low-level sexual harassment because often it's a sign that that people are going to do worse things, right? Like yeah, and it's something that builds up. Yeah, and the fact that a man is willing to to do fairly innocuous, unpleasant things might be a, might be a signal that they're going to do other things. And given that women are constantly told we need to look out for ourselves and be careful and not walk down dark alleyways and all of the rest of it. You know, the fact that we're then kind of ignored when we're uncomfortable with minor things that maybe aren't illegal yeah. or in themselves aren't the problems, you know, that's a real problem because we do actually spend our lives working out what is safe and not safe. And the thing most women know is that we are most at threat from people that we know. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You're far more likely to be attacked or assaulted by And that's not a surprise know. to most women who no. have always, you know, because these are the, the type of people, these are colleagues or people you bump into regularly but maybe mm-hmm. occasionally it's not going to be someone in a dark alley somewhere there might be mm-hmm. potentially but it's but very unlikely in your private life there will yeah. be already like 10 people who would make you uncomfortable and i think one of the things again one of the things that did fuel my rage about this one of the things that made me really angry was how many men professed complete innocence about this how yeah. many men who i'm, I'm not saying in a, I'm not saying that all of these men were themselves abusers, but so many men I knew, and so so many uh, people in men in academia, yeah, um, you know, who might write or think about gender as part of their work. Maybe I mean yeah. they might not, but were, <laughs> there are a few. Yeah, they might think about race or class. They're unlikely to think about gender, but they were so surprised. They professed such surprise at this. You know, part of the Me Too movement, when Tarana Burke started it, was supposed to be about showing two men how how common these experiences are. Yeah. It is about performing solidarity. It is about saying, you know, this is something that has happened to women. But it's also about trying to show people how how common this is. Yeah. And I got so frustrated with all of the men saying, oh, they couldn't believe it, they couldn't believe it. 
I'd never seen this. This is this is so bizarre. This is so strange. You know, men in in journalism or in academia or in film or in television or in finance or you know, in the big story we broke in the Financial Times about the um, the big dinner, oh, the, yes. the Presidents Club yeah. dinner. Oh, I've never seen this happen. This is so terrible. You know, I was a waitress. I worked at those sorts of dinners. Everyone knows what happens. Everyone knows that the waitresses at those dinners are sexually harassed. Yeah. Everyone knows that in academia... I don't know anyone who's worked as a waitress or hasn't been sexually no, harassed exactly. either by, by kitchen staff or... Yeah. Everyone knows customers, that young most women likely in, customers. Yeah, I mean, most likely customers. Everyone knows that women in journalism are vulnerable. Everyone knows that women in academia are vulnerable. Everyone knows that academic conferences are spaces where sexual harassment and sexual assault happens. But apparently by everyone, I mean women. Yeah. Apparently men don't know that. Apparently men don't see that. A thing that's been very interesting in Sweden is that 63,000 women have signed various letters of... Um, so each profession has had their own Me Too hashtag. Hmm. Um, the one for, for the actresses uh, were Tusna Targning, which is sort of mm-hmm. what you call just before you start filming. Yeah. So silenced action mm-hmm. is the direct translation of it. Um, 800 Swedish actresses signed mm-hmm. a letter stating that the industry was rife with sexual assaults and abuse yeah. and harassment. Um, at the big film... Gala, which takes place once a year, so the Swedish equivalent of the Oscars or mm-hmm. the BAFTAs, 50 actresses stood on stage. And these are like very famous mm-hmm. women reading out stories that they'd collected over the year. Mm. There's also been a documentary made about that. And it's, you know, it, that is a very visible um, profession. Yeah, that, of course. You know, with household names. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that almost all sort of organised professions have had the same so there is one for women who work in medicine mm-hmm. there's one for Swedish mm-hmm. women lawyers mm-hmm. and they're all signed by thousands of people Yeah. so this is it's, it's kind of snowballing I suppose that you now in, the, the step towards organising is much shorter mm-hmm. than it would have been a year ago because yeah. there is so much precedent absolutely but at the same time i think it's it says something incredible about what has been going on yeah and how uncomfortable people have been made to feel in their careers and workplaces mm-hmm. and we all know that we spend the majority of our lives in our workplaces mm-hmm. so you know this is this these, these are very big issues and for half of the population to claim ignorance mm-hmm while at the same time they might have sat in a pub one night with colleagues and thought that maybe that guy was getting a little bit too flirty with him to mm-hmm. or like a little bit handsy maybe, but that's just what Luke is like. Yeah, exactly, that's just Bob. Luke is just a name I've taken out of thin air right yeah. now. It's no, no slander of ever, anyone, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like... no, absolutely. There was a really good piece in The Onion um, in literally on the 6th of October, so like the day after the first Weinstein story broke, uh, the headline of which, How could Harvey Weinstein get away with this? Asks man currently ignoring sexual misconduct of 17 separate co-workers, friends and acquaintances. Yep. And it talks in the piece, um, he's, it talks about things that this man deliberately chooses to overlook in his own life or rationalises so quickly that it's barely even a conscious act. Yeah. Um... I think it's horrific that it falls on women to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. N- not just to feel uncomfortable, but to be the uncomfortable person in pointing this out. Yeah. I think if there's anything we could want for 2019, it's that more men decide to be the uncomfortable person and go, yeah. stop that. I actually read on Twitter the other day that someone, and I can't remember whether this was in Swedish or English, mm-hmm. but someone had been walking down the street past a party and a man had started to shout, you know, like street mm-hmm. harassment stuff, mm-hmm. which he obviously thought was complimentary. And another guy had gone up to him, pulled him back and, and like profusely apologised and then turned around and shouted at the man who, with the street harassment streak. That this is not what yeah. we do. Yeah, which is great. <laughs> More of is, that. But... Yeah, Lucy Preble wrote a really good piece in the LRB. So she's a playwright and she wrote a piece partly talking about theatre and and entertainment and how far this is just what happens but she said you know one of the things it's actually only the reason only because Weinstein's influence is a little bit less now that women felt able to voice these these truths about themselves 
Um, and she said, it is now we can hear the unusual silence of men. Shamefully, it has never occurred to me to expect male colleagues to say or do anything about their friends' more shabby behaviour. I have never seen that happen, not once in my entire life. Mm. And she said, some men are quiet to to protect their careers, which is not really a luxury that women have, but other men are quiet because of the fear of hypocrisy mm. and because of anxieties about their own behaviour. Mm. Um do you have you don't have a poem this week you have I have something else yeah so I I was thinking a lot about poems about this and I couldn't I don't know I just I couldn't think of anything really that I wanted to read about this about Weinstein sexual harassment yeah I think we're still we're only a year away from it this or, is, from it breaking it's still sort yeah. of a developing story and I think what we said at the beginning of this podcast about the fact that women need to lay their lives bare in yeah. order to be believed I think that poetry can be incredibly powerful but it can also feel a little bit like you're stealing someone's story exactly when you, when you there was nothing i particularly wanted it. to associate with this moment with this thing but i have something else instead which is a piece that is poetic actually in the way it was written um it's written by alexander petri uh who is a writer for she's actually a comic writer for the washington post she writes kind of uh, funny things and she wrote a piece called men of the world you are not the weather and I've read it so many times since she wrote it, and I really care about it. Like, she, she says, smoke is not the weather. Let me tell you why I've said this. Weather is something you can do very little to prevent. You can only prepare for it and warn people about it and buy protective gear. Smoke happens when someone decides to light a fire. I am sick of having to treat smoke as if it is weather. I am sick of having to bear witness about sexual harassment. Um, she uses Molly Ring- Ringwald's words which is that people would warn her about interacting or not interacting with certain men as casually as if they were talking about the weather. Mm. And she says, um, bring an umbrella, there is a man spitting on you from a great height and it is easier to treat it as though it is raining. If you have lunch with him, know that he likes to set up a giant pit filled with stakes that you will have to step around. Men are not the weather. Um... And she sort of finishes. It's a really, it's a long piece. And I'm obviously not going to read all of it out. But she says, We're going to link to it. We will. Footnotes, so. But she says, Happy annual Creedy Cur Week, when every woman you have ever met tells you a horrible story and you nod gravely and then go about your life. I am sick of having to suffer so a man can grow. What is this? Every Hollywood movie ever made. I'm sick of having to confess to someone else's crimes. Yeah. I am sick of showing up at the banquet dripping blood like Banquo's ghost. This should be your ghost, not mine. I am not the one who should be ashamed that you have done this. I am not here to make you see the error of your ways. I am here to get through my life every day without inhaling sick lungfuls of smoke. And she says that we say to women, rather than telling men to stop sexual harassing, sexually harassing women, we tell women to avoid men. Mm. And it's as if, rather than asking men not to smoke inside we advised women to wear raincoats. Mm. It's it's a really powerful piece of writing, but yes, that, that is my uh, that is my recommendation. And that's an excellent, uh, an excellent round-up of the poem. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before we move on to our recommendations for this week, we should mm-hmm. probably announce that we're having a little bit of a hiatus coming yes. up. Uh, because I'm busy producing more children. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very ambiguous, just to the number. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's only it's just the one. But um, yes, I'll be on parental leave for a bit. So we yes. have we have a Christmas special planned. We do, which will come out. But obviously, this policy, this podcast is extremely has an extremely good parental leave policy. Obviously, uh, as as a progressive podcast. Yeah. So uh, yes, we will have a parental leave break. A Christmas episode will come out, and then an early spring one, I think, yes. as well. And then we might be back at it sort of towards the end of the spring. If you follow our Twitter account, you will be able to get. Um, uh, you know reminders and you'll know it's, and if you uh, actually subscribe to the podcast then they'll just appear on your phone it's, it'll be great you won't even have to think about anything we'll just be in your ear um, so that's what we're going to be doing coming up so it's a Christmas special and mm-hmm. something else <laughs> uh, for the spring and then we'll be back um, our recommendations for today our recommendations for today are apps and they might be apps you already use but um, they're apps that we found useful over the last few months so I am recommending the app Pocket and I'm recommending this because when I was going back through everything I'd read about the Me Too movement I was using Pocket a lot um, so it's an app that means you can save you can put it in your you can put it as an add-on to your browser on your computer or have it on your phone and it means you can save articles to be read offline 
mm. and so you can either just click on the, the the browser thing or you can do it in your in again save to pocket as one of your app on an iphone you do it in the same place you're doing like save this picture to my picture files or whatever okay and it's super useful because it means rather than having as i normally have like 500 tabs open with articles that you open and then immediately see that they're like 15,000 words long and like just hang on to them because you want to read them but are never going to read them. And they just drain your battery. And they just sit in your in your uh, thing for ages. Uh, rather than doing that, you can save them to pocket. And the really good thing is um, that they're saved offline on your phone so you don't need the internet. So if you have a long commute by tube, for example, mm. it's really useful. Great. What are you recommending? I'm recommending the language app Duolingo, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is also, we were going to, we were talking about recommending things for organising your yeah. life a bit. And I actually think Duolingo is quite a good one for that as well. It's um, obviously, it, it's nowhere near as uh, practically useful <laughs> as Pocket, but I think it's, it's a good way of actually attempting to learn another language. So mm-hmm. I've, I'm doing both Swahili and Portuguese on it mm-hmm. for work reasons, mm-hmm. <laughs> but also for fun reasons. And it's we we often talk about in this podcast that that there's a sort of well, I suppose particularly our election mm-hmm. um, episodes for a lot about the need to learn other languages and mm-hmm. and for, to have a deeper insight into what goes on in the world. So I would recommend that it's it's very handy. It's on your phone. It can send you push push notifications if you feel like you're falling yeah. falling off. But it's it's a great way of just spending a few minutes a day learning mm-hmm. something different, and it'll open up your brain to so much more. Absolutely. Also, another good thing to do on the tube, as long as you're not doing the ones where you have to speak words out loud. Oh yeah. Uh, all of the kind of written exercises you can do in like the five minutes you're on the train or whatever. It's mm. really good. So, as we said, uh, our next episode will be our Christmas special. Yes, sometime uh, in December. Some of you will remember our uh, Mad Men Christmas special from last year. This one is going to be just as good. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, while we're on a break, you can find all 20 of our previous um, podcast episodes on our website. Um, so, do go back and listen to any that you might have missed, or maybe any particular favourites that you want to revisit. Um, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. Yeah. And uh, follow us on Twitter. Yeah. And, and have a great time. And have, have Christmas. A lovely time. Right. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.